The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to She Talks Health with Sophie Shepard. Today's woman has a lot of questions about their health and lifestyle choices. But where can you get the right answers? The answer is here and the time is now. Here is your host, Sophie Shepard. Welcome back, ladies, to She Talks Health. This is your host, Sophie Shepard, functional nutrition practitioner and women's menstrual health coach coming to you on the Health and Wellness Channel for Voice America, the largest live internet radio network in the world. Hello to the U.S., to Canada, and a special shout out to Sweden and Japan for tuning in last week. So thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. I'm super excited and I'm truly grateful for you for tuning in. It's truly my pleasure to show up each and every week for you in this way and to bring you amazing, amazing guests who are experts in the field of women's health. So today we are going into the best of the best in femtech and sex tech. We're going to be talking about how these tools can make your lives better and what these solutions even are. And also just the journey of this incredible guest, uh, how she got here. It's, it's incredible. She has a, a great book that we'll be referencing throughout. And so we're going to be talking about tools that kind of span the whole femtech market map. So from infertility to menstruation, birth control, pregnancy, menopause, incontinence, you know, the woman's body goes through so many changes throughout her lifetime. And She Talks Health aims to highlight all of those changes and just make your life a little bit easier. So welcome to the show, Rachel. It's so great to have you. Thank you for that very warm introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. As you know, I'm a huge supporter of yours and any venue to have a conversation about what I think are critically important topics. Absolutely. And you uh, categorized yourself as a vagipreneur. Am I saying that correctly? And is that, is that correct? That's correct. And you know, I always have to give credit to um, Abby Ellen, who's a New York Times journalist and an author, who, when she was first learning about our business, said, oh, you're in the business of female health. You're like a vagipreneur. <laughs> and I said, that's the greatest thing. People got it very quickly. It was a shorthand. And when it proved to be so effective as a a way to summarize quickly what we do, I reached out to Abby and I said, you know what, I'd like to trademark this, but you came up with it. Do you have any intention of using it? And she said, it's all yours. And, you know, then I trademarked it. But it was it was her idea. And I always give her credit. And it's it really always makes it very clear to people what it is that I do. Wow, I love this. So I know you didn't start out as a vagipreneur, though. Correct. You didn't, uh, didn't wake up when you were a kid thinking, I'm going to be a vagipreneur. Right. <laughs> but you wear it with pride now. So um, what is it to you? How do you define vagipreneur? And how did you become one? So there's a lot in there. Clearly, I didn't wake up and say, I want to be a vagipreneur or want to be in the business of female sexual health. I've spent my career building brands and businesses both for myself, my own brands, and for other people. And so there's some fundamental principles, which are, you know, what is the insight that will drive someone to buy, use, recommend the product? How do we have to communicate with them? What do we have to say? 
who are the other people who might influence the decision, healthcare practitioners, insurance companies, so on and so forth. So that was really my framework for how I worked. I started my career at Johnson & Johnson and have worked for large companies like that as a service provider for decades. And about 12 years ago, a venture capitalist handed us a business plan, which had a product that improved arousal, desire, and satisfaction for women. Um, at the time, there were two active clinical programs down from 30 plus. There wasn't really a language to talk about this. From the research that we saw, only three to 5% of obstetricians and gynecologists even talked to their patients about pleasure um, and enjoyment. And this wasn't the topic I've worked in literally dozens of categories that affect women's lives from the tops of their heads to the tips of their toes. And this seemed to be one of the few categories where women of a certain age didn't necessarily reach out to their partner, to their, certainly not their mom, uh, to their friends, uh, to talk about sexual pleasure. And add to that, that at least when we got into the business, it was the second decade of a world with erectile dysfunction drugs. And so there's a whole generation of people who've been raised around the language, you know, bigger, longer, stronger for our erections. And in all my experience, um, working with women's businesses and doing focus groups with literally thousands of women um, and quantitative research, women don't think of, of sex as a performance sport. So there really wasn't a language that at that point seemed appropriate. So when I saw this opportunity for a product that actually worked, that was clinically proven, um, for which there was an important role. 43% of women have sexual concerns and difficulties at some point in their lives. That's a lot of people. And I looked at all these things and I said, you know, that's a perfect storm. That's a perfect storm of marketing. And so my business partner, uh, Mary and I said, it's a much longer version, but <laughs> for the purposes of brevity said, you know, we want to get into this. And so we bought the asset and then we built the company. And that's how I became a entrepreneur. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love that you kind of jumped right into the next thing that I want to talk about, which is that there really is a lack of vocabulary to currently discuss matters such as women's sexual dysfunction. And yet we have, you know, a multi-million dollar um, industry in men's sexual dysfunction. You know, we- Multi-billion. Multi-billion. I, thank you for correcting me. I kind of thought it might be that, but okay. So we're talking about a huge industry and, you know, we, we see it advertised everywhere, but for women, it's something that they're not even comfortable talking to their partners about. So I know in your book, you wrote, you know, there were questions coming to you about everything and anything, relationships, positions, pains, waxing, and, you know, <laughs> people were asking you, how does this product work? And why don't I have vaginal orgasms? And how can I get in the mood when all I feel right now is fury because my husband help around the house. I loved that. And, you know, that just speaks into how women are different than men and what does turn women on is, is so, so different. So I'm just curious, like how in your work, how has this compared to the male sexual dysfunction conversation in the industry? It must be fascinating. So it's a great question. And just very simply put, when you think about male sexual response, um, you think about it as a hydraulic pump. And with the erectile dysfunction drugs, they essentially are vasodilators, which increases the blood flow. They pump the blood to the hydraulic pump, the pump works, and we're in business. And there's not such a strong brain-body connection. So the actual physiological response is much simpler. 
when you look at women, the primary uh, model of female sexual response is the Bassan model, which really reflects the intersecting systems that are at work for a woman's sexual response. So there's physiological elements, psychological elements, social, behavioral, contextual. There's so many different elements that affect how she interacts, whether she's in the mood or not, how quickly her body responds. So it's really a much more complex challenge to solve. So when you hear all these companies talking about the female Viagra, um, there will never be, in my mind, a female Viagra in the sense that there isn't one pill that turns on the right switch to get the right result, because there's so many systems um, at work. And I do also want to say, you know, I've been in this space for a long time. And with each day, there literally is, and certainly now with passing years, there's amazing progress. There are a lot of entrepreneurs um, who are talking about this and building businesses about this and shouting their important messages from the rooftops and providing great solutions. So it is a journey. Um, we're further along than we were when I started. There's still a long way to go, but the progress has been extraordinary. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. It, it's not just a, a quick fix. It's not mechanical for women um, the way it is for men. And I think that that can lead to a lot of like fear, frustration, anger, you know, a lot of women take that on to themselves. And just speaking into that from, you know, my perspective as a functional nutrition practitioner, you know, I see it all the time where, and you know, I also like, will be completely honest because you guys know I'm an open book. I dealt with this. I dealt with some serious low libido in my twenties. And when I did my hormone testing, it turned out I had really low estrogen, like perimenopausal levels of estrogen. And, you know, that is something that I see so often in, in my practice, whether it be due to an internal or an external mental emotional stressor, but stressor can, stressors can tank both male and female libido um, and, and tank testosterone, tank estrogen, but you know, it was a pretty scary moment. And you couple that with, you know, so many women are dealing with infertility, for example. And it's like, wow, you know, you start to see how all these things are are connected physiologically, but also mentally and emotionally. And for me to get my personal and my personal story, you know, it was really, it was really a mental, emotional stress that was causing the low libido. So I want to say to any women that are out there listening who might be experiencing this specific issue that women have, um, whether it be arousal or just, you know, not feeling like you're in the mood, there is so much that goes into it, like Rachel said, and it could be a hormonal um, irregularity and it could be related to stress. And we're all under like an immense amount of stress right now in this country. So if you haven't been really feeling like you're in the mood, that's actually the first place I would look is, um, you know, there's certainly tools that we can, that we can uh, use for arousal, but if it feels like it's in your head, as most likely is, and you can obviously work on stress management tools as well. Well, certainly the brain is an important part of the female sexual experience. And in addition to just this general bucket of stress, there are a number of things that actually contribute to lower desire or libido. Um, it could be the side effects from other medication. You know, one of the ones that I've always found the most ironic is that oral contraception, which is used to prevent pregnancy, can lower your libido, mm -hmm. um, the results of cancer treatment, diabetes, obesity, stress. When you think about the range of things that affect all the systems that go into, you know, sexual pleasure, there are a lot of them. This is not, we are complex. And one of the things I love about sexual health, and I approach it obviously from the business side, is just how complex it is. It's this amazing puzzle um, with so many different entry points and so many different challenges and so many different stages. So really to be in female sexual health, you have to constantly be on the balls of your feet because this affects 
so much. This isn't just affecting her sexual life or her pleasure. This is, as you alluded to uh, earlier in the conversation, goes from her first period till till menopause and then whatever else happens, you know, and then post-menopause and anything else that happens after that. Absolutely. Thank you for going even further deeper into this in in case someone feels like any of those things apply to them. And um, I guess as we go through, if you, I don't know if you just know them off the top of your head because you've been doing this work for so long, but are there, um, are there additional tools um, that you've seen in this um, femtech and sex tech space for arousal for, for females? There are lots of things in every category. So yes, there are a lot of things. There are products that um, have been approved for um, desire. There are, you know, people use lubricants in that way. Then they use lubricants that are formulated differently. There's tons of sex toy companies that are literally booming during quarantine. Um, Much of that, in my opinion, is that they've been designed by women uh, for the benefit of women, for people who understand the physiology and potentially some of the needs of a, a woman. So there are thousands of options. There are companies like Unbound and Dame, and there are products available. There are lubricants like Pulse and KY. There, there, there are a thousand different options. What, one of the things that you have to do is figure out where you're going to get your information and where you're going to start. So it's not just one thing, oh, I'm suffering from arousal, I should do X, Y, Z. Or I'm suffering from a lack of desire, I should do these three things. It's really a broader conversation and requires some greater understanding and, and some research, whether it's with your physician um, or whether it's online or through a, an accepted expert like the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. There are lots of places to get this information. But the the challenge is not the lack of products. It's the lack of information and the lack of ability maybe to sometimes wade through that information to know what's fact, what's fiction, and most importantly, what will work for you. Thank you for dropping the mic on that information, Rachel. Yes. So I think this is really, really important in a society where we like quick fixes, we like supplements, we like capsules, we like to just fix the thing and move on because we're busy, we're moms, we're working, we're we're doing a million things, but there are many reasons and there are many resources for you guys to look and be empowered. You know, that's why I started my company to empower and educate women. So if you're feeling confused about this, please reach out to me or, you know, reach out to whomever you feel comfortable with. Um, let's move the conversation into something I know you find fascinating, as do I, which is that these female focused and mostly women run businesses in the femtech and sex tech world, they have fought tooth and nail to get to where they are, right? I mean, it's not easy to start one of these companies. Yet, as we just said, I mean, you said 43% of women have just one thing, female sexual dysfunction. We're not even talking about, you know, infertility yet or, you know, incontinence. So obviously it's a big population of people that need this. So do you feel that there's a gap in this industry and what would need to change to make femtech and female health more of a priority? I think it's getting there. I think part of the way it's getting there is that there's so many voices um, like yours, like mine, like literally hundreds of entrepreneurs building businesses and driving the conversation. There are many, many more sources of capital that are focused on um, women, uh, diverse leaders, including women. Uh, There's actually funds dedicated specifically to femtech or sex tech. So 
it's the, it's the concept of a rising tide raises all boats. So there's lots of noise. There's lots of people. There are literally hundreds of these companies um, in various that, that respond to various challenges or enhancements that a woman might want over the course of her sexual and reproductive life. So we are making progress. When you go back to what is the cause and you can speak to 100 people and they'll probably give you 100 different answers, I think it stems from really a societal discomfort um, with female sexuality and women's sexual pleasure. And one example that I, that I always reference because I think it highlights it so clearly is there was an article in the cover of the New York Times Magazine section several years ago called Unexcited, Is There a Pill for That? And it was talking about how when you do clinical studies, the objective in a clinical study is to demonstrate that whatever it is you're testing was responsible for whatever change you saw, so that it wasn't a placebo effect. And in the article there, and so that's what you're looking for. You're looking for clear demonstration that the product, the device, the cream, whatever it is, is responsible for the improvement. And in the article, they referenced this concept that they didn't want necessarily these products being developed for female sexual um, arousal, desire, satisfaction to work too well, lest there be, and I'm using air quotes for those of you who uh, can't see us, um, sex craze binges of infidelity. And the reason I point to that is because the you want to scream. <laughs> so absurd that there's something, the, the concept is that there's something scary or something to be feared about female sexuality, that if women are aroused or in touch with what um, is desirable for them, that they will be running rampant in the street in heat as these uncontrollable beings. And, you know, my response to that is, you know, did we lock down the streets when there were men running around wielding four-hour erections? The reason I bring up that example is it just shows how differently we look at female sexuality, you know, it is complex. It is hard for people to understand. And if you're not having conversations, it could be scary. It's not scary. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Um, it's complicated. It's challenging. Um, but it shouldn't be something that's dealt with with a sense of fear. Add to that that people come from very different cultural backgrounds and different religious backgrounds, all of which have their own perspective on sexuality and the role of pleasure, of pleasure, even if pleasure is part of the conversation. And then on top of that, we have the you know, limited sex education that we have, at least in the U.S., where even a subset of the states that require sex ed don't require it to be scientifically or medically accurate. And then the final icing on that complicated cake is that with the total availability and ubiquity of porn, not that there's anything wrong with it, with consenting adults and, you know, any other caveat you might want to make, that porn becomes a de facto sex education. So you put those all together and it creates this feeling of, you know, fear and a lack of knowledge and a sense of overwhelm when people start to think and talk about female sexual health and pleasure. And I'm so delighted how many amazing, strong, powerful voices and companies and products are being developed to, to change that, that conversation for the better. Rachel, this is incredible. And I, when you said that first part made me want to scream, right? That this is how we as a society think about women's arousal specifically. I mean, this is, this is archaic, right? This is going back many, many <laughs> decades, um, I think, to, to a version of the female that is not contemporary. Um, 
this is these are a lot of layers for us to kind of work mm-hmm. through. Do you do you think that the the best way for us to work through them are just by having these conversations and by empowering these other female leaders to ha- help their businesses succeed? I know that's what you really focus on here. So yes, it is complex. It is multifaceted. I think having the conversations is one of the very important things um, to be done with people who are experts, with people who deliver care, such as yourself, with um, physicians getting more training in talking about this part of the, the care and treating of women. So when you look at systemically, what are some of the challenges that people in this industry are facing and with greater and greater success overcoming, you know, there are a couple of fundamental ones. The first is, you know, a general discomfort as we talked about. The second is access to capital. So, you know, when I was raising money for my first company in this space, it was 2008 when, you know, we had a ton of economic uncertainty and the bottom was falling out of the financial markets. So, you know, people weren't waiting for me in these uh, Silicon Valley uh, venture capital funds waiting with open arms for me to come in and talk to them about a vagina business. You know, we're now in a very challenging economic time. Again, the difference is the decade plus and all the people in the space. So, you know, access to capital becomes a big issue. And as I mentioned before, there are lots of um, creative sources of capital. There are a lot of women who now have more money and for better or worse are more, are often more disposed to invest in something like this. Uh, And the other piece is we've talked about it and everybody in this industry has faced the same thing is access to media channels. And by that, I mean, having the ability to have a conversation on the platforms that you would like to. So everyone's heard that, you know, certainly Facebook has made it challenging for many of these companies to talk about pleasure, desire, vaginal dryness, or menopause, which sounds shocking, but it's still true. And there are lots more companies chipping away at that. And and some really have had, uh, great success. You know, O School is one of uh, the best examples, which is a a content and sex education and information platform. So those are the two biggest things that I would say is real access to capital to drive growth and access to the outlets to have these conversations. So for instance, many of these products that for the companies that I work with are focused for women across their life stage. Others are focused on women 35 plus or 45 plus, um, and Facebook continues to be an incredibly important platform where they get information and where they communicate. So to the extent that we can continue to put pressure on these large, large organizations to say, let people decide what content they want as opposed to you know, your algorithms deciding what content people want, that, you know, that's incredibly important. And ultimately, for better or worse, um, you know, money talks. As people start to make real money from these businesses, the whole op- the whole world of opportunity opens up. This is incredible. I actually did not know that you know companies like Facebook would be censoring this information. You know, to they would probably think- use a different word. But if you look at the number of examples and the companies <laughs> that have faced it, there does seem to be um, a clear double standard. You know, one for instance. Erectile dysfunction um, ads are, as I understand it, and this could have changed um, in the recent past, but uh, erectile dysfunction ads are evaluated through an algorithm that puts it under um, family planning. 
uh, which is just interesting because if you look at the breakdown of the people who actually use erectile dysfunction drugs, they tend to be either, you know, older men with heart conditions or younger men looking for performance enhancement. So family planning, you know, to me has always felt like a bit of a stretch. Then you look at something like vaginal dryness, which Facebook has said to many of these companies who have lubricants or solutions um, for dryness or painful intercourse, that it's too sexual in nature. And, you know, the joke, the my response always is, ask any woman who's ever experienced vaginal dryness, and sexy is the last word that she will use to describe it. So, you know, while these algorithms are applied, you know, without people, they're created by people. So some of those inherent biases are, are built in to the ability to access. And this has happened, this is something that's, to use the word, a pandemic across all the social media channels. This is incredible. And um, what a great way to go into break and just to highlight thinking about the idea, this kind of archaic, again, I, I'm just going to use that word, this idea that, you know, sex has to be just about family planning. It doesn't, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about here in some aspects. And we're not going to just talk about sex for the second half of this program, but this is just what we started on. And, you know, family planning is great and fantastic, but it's not the whole side of the picture. Um, and, you know, for someone like me who works with a lot of women with for example, endometriosis, one in 10 women have endometriosis and it takes them approximately 10 years to get a formal diagnosis. And these women struggle with painful sex. They, they feel like there's something wrong with them. And so they're living in this place of fear around sex. And that is also just something to remark on. It's like, we're, we're not helping the problem by, you know, causing these algorithms to um, limit people's exposure to the information, let alone actioning and getting, you know, support and help with these very crucial things that affect way more than just sex. This is affecting mental health, it's affecting relationships, it's affecting the ability to go out and, and want to be even in a relationship. Right. Um, and I speak and, to this you know, you because of, yeah. endometriosis or, you know, PCOS. One of the great things about all the companies that have been birthed over the last several years is they're now giving women the information to figure out if they're at risk for that. And again, as you said at the top of the show, this isn't in any way a replacement for any advice you would get from um, a healthcare practitioner, but there is exists the opportunity to get a lot more information about your body, about your cycle, about your responses, so that you could potentially be armed with more information so that women aren't suffering, as you said, for 10 years until they get an appropriate endometriosis diagnosis. You know, and that 10 years has a huge impact on lots of parts of a woman's life and her partners. Absolutely. Great. Let's, let's take a pause here. Um, after the break, we'll co come back. We'll talk about some other tools, some other things that Rachel has learned in her incredible journey. And I'd love to hear about your mentor. I know that's a big part of your story too. So we'll see you back after the break, everybody. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Sophie Shepard is a functional nutrition practitioner and founder of She. Sophie helps busy women all over the world go from hormonal chaos to optimal hormonal alignment so they can live their lives fully without being held back by their bodies. Using the power of functional lab testing combined with life-changing mindset shifts and integrating the entire body's system. If the only thing holding you back is your health, it's time to stop letting hormonal chaos run your world. Book your health discovery call today by going to SheTalksHealth.com. Are you done medicating and guessing your way through the exhaustion, pain, and irritability caused by hormonal and digestive health issues? Sophie Shepard, founder of She, will help you go from symptom-ridden and confused to finally having clarity about how your hormones work and confidence in your health strategy in just 10 days. If you are ready to stop living with no energy, brain fog, anxiety, digestive issues, and painful periods, then check out the 10-Day Digestive and Hormone Reboot at SheTalksHealth.com. We're on the pulse of the world with great shows and hosts. The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel is also on Twitter. We've got ideas to keep you healthy, breaking health news, and more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAMHealth. That's at VoiceAMHealth. are listening to she talks health if you have a question or comment about the show send an email to sophie at she-nyc.com that's sophie at she-nyc.com now back to she talks health welcome back ladies we are dropping bombs over here around femtech sex tap and all of the in-between we are talking fertility solutions and pelvic health care all of these different things that go on throughout the woman's cycle through life, um, things that aren't talked about often and that should be talked about daily. Um, my guest today um, is Rachel Sherl, and she is a vagipreneur who has been through this incredible journey um, helping companies like thinks and sustain and I, I'm probably you know these are big female companies but she helps companies to to build and grow and she is a really interesting insight into why there might be challenges in helping these businesses grow and Rachel I'd love to kind of pick up there can you kind of just tell us a little bit more about the work you do now um, for companies and and I don't know if you're allowed to talk about who you're working with but if you are we'd love to hear about some of these companies that you've worked for or are working with now. So I work with a number of large and small companies. Some are brands within, you know, Fortune 500 companies and um, others are venture-backed startups. And I work with them on a couple of different things. Um, One is, do you have the insight to drive purchase? So what I mean by that is we start with problems and people develop solutions. And one of the things that's so amazing about the people in this space is the majority of them have built a business around a solution to a problem that they didn't see a, a, a sufficient answer to. So, you know, you take Polly Rodriguez at, at Unbound, who built Unbound, which is a company to provide a wide range of toys and devices and information around pleasure. And that company was built when she, at the, in her very early 20s, was diagnosed with a form of cancer, the treatment for which rendered her infertile, 
um, and immediately in menopause. And as she says, and she's been so open about her journey, doctors prepared her somewhat for the infertility piece and egg freezing and those kinds of options, but nobody talked to her about being a, a young woman in her early 20s going through menopause. And she went to a, a shop to find things for enhancement, and it was like a dingy dingy store near the airport and the whole experience was unpleasant for her. And so that gave birth to her wanting to create a company that was accessible, that was fun, that was full of humor and life and color. And the conversation was different. So, you know, that's one of the things that is so fascinating. Oftentimes companies have the idea and they have the product and the struggle is how do I communicate this to my buyer, whoever that might be, um, it could be business to business. It could be business to consumer. It could be business to healthcare practitioner. It could be business to um, healthcare plan. How do I communicate with them? What do I communicate to get them to engage in a transaction? Because I always say that business without revenue is just a very expensive hobby. So how do you communicate that what you offer is solving a problem? And I have this client that I've worked with for decades in, in and out of sexual health right now, sexual health. And I, he knows I always quote him. He said he was always had a technology in search of an insight. So oftentimes people build things because they can, because they think it'll do something. One of the things that people in this space do, and that I work with a lot of companies to do, is make sure that the it, the thing that you're delivering is something that people want, that you are solving a problem or enhancing an experience in a way that's different and better. Because in my mind, different isn't always the answer. And many of the categories in femtech and sex tech, what companies are fighting against is inaction. So compare that, what I mean specifically is compare that to, you know, developing a new shampoo. There are thousands of shampoos, there are thousands of conditioners, there are you know, tens of millions and billions of dollars being spent to advertise which one you should use. But the objective there is to get you to switch from one shampoo to another. In this case, you're often trying to get someone who hasn't been in a category to, to engage in that category. And that is a different lift. I, I spend a lot of time essentially being a matchmaker for small companies and large companies, large companies who can't innovate at the speed that they want and smaller companies who need more runway or investment or partnership to do any number of things, to expand their distribution, to increase their marketing, um, to build out their portfolio. So it's all about what can I do to drive uh, top line growth. And then there's always the operational stuff. How do we do this better? How, we, how do we do this at a lower cost? How do we get products in the hands of the right people? How do we find better partners, whether it's for manufacturing or for shipping or for public relations. So it's all those things around getting the product and the message in the hands of people who could benefit from it to result in a purchase. So I really call what I do very pragmatic strategy. Thank you for explaining what you do and for you know, the way I look at this for any ladies who are listening, who might be listening because they're looking for a product. I mean, think about how many women's warriors there are like Rachel out in the world. You know, it doesn't always literally hundreds, hundreds, there's hundreds of us, you know, what, whatever, you know, slice of the pie you're looking at and think about all the companies that are trying their hardest to get 
up in front of people. I just interviewed last week the f- co-founder of Elix Healing, um, and please go back in and listen to that if you are someone who struggles with menstrual health issues. But you know, she talked in openly with her co-founder Lulu about how hard it is to get a company like this off the ground. And and just so any, anyone who hasn't listened to that knows, they they create customized Chinese herbal medicine based off of traditional Chinese medicine um, for women's menstrual cycle issues. And I remember hearing them talk about how hard it was to get capital, but also how hard it was to get awareness about their product and that women even feel they need it. And in a recent interview, um, I was asked what my superpower was. Um, and you know, one of the things I said was, I think I am good at permissions. You know, women live in this world where we don't give ourselves permission to want, desire, to need, to take care of ourselves. We put ourselves behind. So it's like, I think brand awareness, but also then like not convincing, but showing the value, like you said, is not just different, it's better. It's worth purchase because you are in a place of suffering or desire, or you just want to improve some part of your um, female life. And so... <laughs> On the flip side of this, for me, as you, as your friendly health coach and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, I encourage you to look at where you can be giving yourself permission to purchase some of these products, to go deeper with your healthcare provider, to get this education um, that is so readily available. And for to, I mean, Rachel, that's incredible that you do this for companies. This is absolutely- well, one of the things that you mentioned that I want to make sure that we emphasize is these are businesses. So if they have investors, uh, you know, if they have employees, they have objectives, very specific business objectives. So I want to make it very clear that these are not just passion projects. People are passionate about them, but they're Mm -hmm. also businesses. And again, if you have institutional capital or any kind of investment, you need to deliver returns, deliver Mm -hmm. capital back and then some um, to your investors. And you have to demonstrate all the important fundamentals of building a business. So I want to make sure that that comes across because what characterizes so many of the people in this space is they have tremendous experience building businesses in other spaces. And now they're turning their extraordinary talents and gifts and focus and discipline and creativity to this particular space. But in the end, people are running businesses. The fact that it solves important problems is enormous and critical. Um, The fact that it creates important conversation, important and critical. But in order to really, in my opinion, make the biggest impact, when women have, and these businesses particularly have economic clout, that's really one of the most important factors you, you need to propel this entire conversation in this entire category. So it's not, let's just talk about it because it's important. It is important. And if you're running a business, you need to be successful on the metrics that businesses run on, whatever yours are, whether it's, uh, you know, customer acquisition cost or how quick to profitability or, you know, EBITDA, whatever is the metric. And, you know, there are many, many that, that people use. You can't separate this from running a business. The part I like about specifically being in this is it's a business space that I'm passionate about. And that just makes all of it much more exciting. Yes. Thanks for going through that. And it's it's something that, you know, I struggle with as a business owner in this space as well. I mean, I have to put a roof over my head and food on right. the table as well. And but the the incredible thing like you mentioned about doing something that you're passionate about in this space um, for women is that, you know, you're making profit or you're making money 
from hopefully helping a large group of people. And, and that's, you know, that, that's incredibly valuable for, for the creators. Um, let's talk about your book. Yeah. <laughs> Orgasmic leadership. There's, it's a really long title. I want to make sure I get it, get it correctly. I've been loving reading it. So Orgasmic Leadership, Profiting from the Coming Surge in Women's Sexual Health and Wellness. And it is a number one international best seller. Um, and it is everything that Rachel knows and learned as a entrepreneur. Fascinating. Um, there are a lot of companies listed here. There's a lot of sections to this book. Can you tell us a little bit more about this book, why you started it? And maybe, I don't know, your favorite part about this book. Okay. I don't know. There's so much here. There's so many sections. With pleasure. So in the way of background, I was at a conference and I met this incredibly brilliant woman who I just, you know, had like a brain crush on. Yeah, I just, she was so smart, totally different field. And I do a lot of speaking on leadership and entrepreneurship and women in business and the business of uh, women's sexual health. And she said, you know, Rachel, everybody's talking about leadership and entrepreneurship. Why don't you talk about it in the context of what you do? What do you think of orgasmic leadership? And I literally said, it's the greatest name I ever heard of. It's a woman by the name of Karen Kahn, who I, I give credit to in the book, who I just think is the bomb. And I said, I love it, but companies aren't hiring me to talk about orgasmic leadership. You know, when I do speaking at conferences or universities or companies, they're comfortable saying I'm talking about leadership or women's leadership, but orgasmic leadership is, you know, a step too far. You know, just to give you an example, I was speaking at a women's leadership event at a large organization in the Midwest and they said, we want you to talk about the book, but we don't want you to mention the name of the book. Oh, my goodness. So, the name of the book. See, in, this is going back case, to the vocabulary that we're using to discuss yeah, this industry. Exactly. And I said, well, you know, if you crack the front cover, that's, you know, a large part of it that we need to be having these conversations with the right language. In any case, the idea stuck with me. And one day I just said, maybe this is a series of articles or a book. And I reached out to... Um, you know, half a dozen people in the space that I've had the pleasure of knowing or working with. Um, and I said, I'd like to do a formal interview about your journey and how you got into this space. You know, one of the you know, fundamental premises was, you know, people don't wake up and say, I want to be in the vagina business or, you know, when they're in elementary school. Uh, so it started to just grow and I wound up doing over three dozen uh, interviews with academics, entrepreneurs, healthcare practitioners, thought leaders. Um, and it really at, it, at its heart is a business book. I weave the stories under themes and trends that are happening right now. So what are ways to capitalize on the transformation and distribution models? What are ways to capitalize on the total birth and exponential change and growth of technology, whether that's, you know, app technology, device technology, materials technology, what are new models of social entrepreneurship? And so all the stories, you know, mine included, were folded into how are people building these companies taking advantage of these trends to drive growth? And so oftentimes people will say, you know, is this a how-to book for sexual pleasure? And I say, you know, it's not. There are companies in there and there are products in there that absolutely will help you in that regard. But at its heart, it's really about um, building businesses in the space. And the idea of orgasmic leadership to me has translated into how you present, how you speak, 
how you join this conversation, how you build your company in femtech, sex tech, and women's health. And, you know, so I refer to all the people in the book as badgepreneurs because they're all in different ways um, working towards the same goal. Thanks for explaining that. It's it's more of a business book than a how-to. Although I will say, you know, looking at some of the founders in here, it does, it's a pretty hefty list of really incredible companies. I mean, everything from like Mickey Agrawal, who I've heard speak many times. She's the founder of Thanks Period uh, Panties. Um, and she's a New Yorker. So I've, I've definitely heard her speak a time or two um, to sexual wellness coaches. I mean, there are a lot of people in this book that um, are, I guess, maybe also a good jumping off point for people who are looking for different parts of this field. But I love that this is also like a great book for the next founder, you know, the next woman who, who wants to build something in this business to, to help the the larger community. And as we talked about, to also make some money in this um, crazy economy we're in and um, in this industry. So thank you for creating it. And I, I mean, I was just really loving it. What was your, what was your favorite part of writing this book? There are so many stories and it was so fun. And the people who gravitate toward this space are really as a group, amazing. I've been working for a long time and this is truly the most collaborative community that I've ever seen in terms of people being generous with their time and with their advice and with their vendors and and competitors really are collaborators. But I have to say that my favorite story is uh, a story that I love to tell a young woman by the name of Suhani Jalada who I happened to read about her. I went to Duke undergrad and I was reading the alumni magazine, literally. And I see this woman who started this amazing company and I reached out to her to tell her about the book uh, and said, and I wanted to learn more about her story. So very briefly, she grew up in relative privilege in um, India and was particularly aware of the challenges for women living in the slums of Mumbai in terms of you know, privacy and and sanitation and menstruation. And she created a foundation where she taught women in the community to not only be able to talk about these products, but to be able to build them and sell them. And I want to back up for a minute and share that there are varying statistics, but women and girls in developing countries miss sometimes three to seven days of a month of work or school. So think about the impact of that on your educational advancement, on your economic advancement. So one of the things that was so fascinating is, is she's creating a new engine. So to potentially change the trajectory of these women's lives, now they have a livelihood, um, now they're educated, now they have the products that they need to be able to go about their day. So in 2016, Suhani was the Glamour College Woman of the Year, and there was a famous actress and activist who took an interest in her and went and visited her company in India. Well, it turns out that actress Meghan Markle then became, you know, (laughs) her Royal Highness, Duchess of Sussex. And at the time of the wedding, Harry and Meghan said, in lieu of gifts, we'd like you to give to these seven organizations, one of which was Suhani's. Now, Suhani had met her unrelated, you know, from her pre-royal days. And my favorite part of the story is she was invited to the royal wedding and she went with people on her team. Oh, my goodness. 
You're it, right. <laughs> I just love that story. It feels like a fairy tale. She came up with a great idea that had social impact, economic impact, that had an impact on a, a part of the world that she holds dear and is important to her and is fundamental to who she are, is as a human being. And she attracted the attention of the right person at the right time. And so good for her. And right now she's getting a PhD um, at Stanford, you know, brilliant woman who will continue to be incredibly successful. But that's one that I just, I sort of love how that whole celebrity piece comes back around. Mm, my goodness. Thank you for sharing that story. That just made me very emotional. I love that she was able to build something like that and it got recognized internationally yeah. and that that trajectory is going to change so many millions of women's lives. And you mentioned something in there that I want to speak into, which is that, you know, menstrual men- menstruation can affect a, a woman's ability in un- underdeveloped com- countries for three to seven days. You know, and unfortunately, this is something that I I think needs to be talked about, you know, I have many clients who are in the United States who cannot work because of their cycle. And, you know, this to me is unacceptable and it, we have to do better. (laughs) We just have to do better. Um, You know, primary dysmenorrhea and secondary dysmenorrhea, whether it be from a hormonal imbalance or a specific diagnosis like endometriosis is debilitating for women. And um, there are many companies out there that can help, you know, with the the pain, but getting to the root of what's going on here is super crucial. Um, And even finding like cures and things like that are, are far off distance for people like endometriosis. So thank you for bringing that up about other countries. And and if you are a woman who is missing work because of it in this country, um, there are many benefits. Again, I invite you to email me um, if you um, are looking for some of those different companies that might be able to help you. Um, And as part of the conversation, the terms that are often used are period poverty um, and a drive for menstrual equity, Mm -hmm. which is really about having access where you need it, when you need it. And, you know, one of the fundamental conversations there is, you know, we have toilet paper and paper towels in public bathrooms. Why do we not have menstrual products free and available? And so there are a bunch of companies who are working to do that. And, you know, that isn't a goal to take money away from people to have them not make money selling the products. It's a different business model. But what's really important is the conversation that we know that, people sometimes have to choose between rent and food or menstrual products and food. It it just, it seems, it seems inhuman. And one of the expressions that has gotten, um, that has been discussed during the pandemic is, you know, menstruation doesn't stop for the pandemic. Women are still menstruating, whether or not they have jobs, whether or not they have childcare, whether or not they have hope, whether or not, you know, so these are really important issues that are so fundamental to being able to live a a productive life that lots of times, as you say, we just don't think about. Absolutely. We're almost out of time. There's something I did want to mention since this is what came up that in two days, um, May 28th is menstrual hygiene day. Um, and hate the dot, which is on Instagram at hate the dot will be giving away 5,000 tampons for women in need. So you can go to 5,000 tampons.com and sign up to get notified um, when the giving begins. I just wanted to mention that for anyone who is interested in that. But before we close, um, there is another thing that Rachel is doing right now. It's called uh, quotes from quarantine. I was on it. Rachel, can you explain briefly what this is and what your hopes are with quotes from quarantine? So I really love the space and I love the people in the space. And I, and I think that enthusiasm, I uh, hope that enthusiasm comes across. And I 
you know, I generally travel a lot and I'm, you know, on the road and talking with people and working with people. And I thought, what can I do to be part of keeping these important conversations going um, while we're in quarantine? So I came up with this idea of quotes from quarantine in which I have literally brief 10 minute conversations with people across the range of, of these, of the space, whether they're providers, whether they're um, functional nutrition coaches, entrepreneurs, um, academics, about what are they doing during this period of COVID-19 to respond. And I start with the fundamental principle. You mentioned the word er earlier. The people in this space tend to be warriors. They're, and I think you have to be a warrior to build a business to begin with, but add to that the particular idiosyncrasies of doing a business in this space. And so I said, why not go to the smartest, most creative, most hardworking people I know and say, learn about what they're doing to not only keep their companies going, but to improve their own mental health and what they're doing for the community. And so, again, I was so lucky. It started out, I don't know why I always start with, I think I'll do six. Um, and I've done, I think, close to 60 uh, in the last seven or eight weeks with more to come. And it really, for me, is teaching me so much um, and that's one of the things that I love about it is I like to think of myself as a, a continuous student and I'm learning and sharing what I learned and feel like we can continue to keep this conversation, all of us, in whatever way we can. We can. And that's really my objective is to make sure that these companies and these important concepts and these conversations are being had. Fantastic. Thanks for explaining Quotes from Quarantine. Where can people find Quotes from Quarantine, your book, and you if they need access to you? What are you offering for them? So online, all of my social handles are either Rachel Braun Sherl or RV Sherl, um, S-C-H-E-R-L. And the, the Quotes from Quarantine are on IGTV. If you're interested in Finding Me or the book, Orgasmic Leadership is available on Amazon. If you look up Orgasmic Leadership, you'll find me. Uh, the name of my company is Spark Solutions for Growth. So put in Vagipreneur, put in Orgasmic Leadership, um, email me directly at rbsherl, S-C-H-E-R-L, at Spark Solutions for Growth. I'm always happy to hear from people and, and brainstorm and talk to anybody who's excited about this space because it really fuels my energy and my passion. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Rachel. It's been incredible to have you. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And I think the work you're doing is incredibly important. And thanks for letting me be a part of it. Yeah, thank you so much. And ladies, if you've resonated with this episode so far, um, please make sure to give us a five-star review or shoot us a comment on iTunes or Spotify or your favorite podcast listening platform. And I'll be sure to answer it for the next week's episode. And if you are on the other side of this and you're not a business builder, but you are simply a consumer, I hope this was really incredible. If you're looking for more in-depth hormone support, you know I'm your girl. You can apply <laughs> to work with me on shetalkshealth.com or shoot me an email at sophie at she-nyc.com. This is Sophie signing off for the week and I will talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us this week for She Talks Health. Please join Sophie Shepard again next Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time for another episode of our show on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.